Pastor Mark has asked me to read two passages from Genesis. These are the covenant promises of God to Abram, through which immense blessing flows to us today. The first is um, Genesis chapter 12 and the first three verses. That's found on page 8 in the Pew Bible. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then just one page over, Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. You are some of those stars this morning, brothers and sisters. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Thanks, Ron, for so helpfully reading the background of our text this morning, which is Galatians chapter 3. If uh, you're using the Pew Bible still, it's on 973. 973. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 again this morning, verses seven or 6 through 9. If you're visiting with us, we are in the process of making our way verse by verse through this letter um, of Paul to the Galatians. And the central theme of this entire letter is that we are made right with God, not on the basis of what we do for God, but on the basis of what Christ has done for us. And Paul has been trying to reteach the Galatians this. In chapters 1 and 2, he walked them all the way up through his personal journey, talking about how he received the gospel message, the message about Jesus Christ, and how he was himself called by God through a vision to preach this gospel. And he did not consult with any of the other apostles before that, but he went right to go about doing the work that God had called him to do. The apostles merely confirmed that later on. Paul has been trying to defend himself a little bit to the churches there in Galatia because in Galatia there's been some false teaching going on 
Some people have come in and taught things contrary to what Paul taught, and so he's writing somewhat livid in this letter, trying to get them back on track and restore sanity to them. And so we've come up to verses 6 through 9, but in order to get uh, the flow of the contest text, verse 6 kind of jumps right in mid-sentence, so it may be helpful for us to reread the verses I preached last week, verses 1 to 5, and then tack on 6 to 9 at the end. So let's read the whole passage, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Well, after a little more than three years as the head basketball coach at Texas Tech, Pat Knight was fired this week. Pat Knight is the son of legendary basketball coach and chair thrower, Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight's career spanned over 30 years, actually over 40 years, from 1965 to 2008 when he retired as head coach of Texas Tech. In that time, Bobby Knight's record was 902 wins and 371 losses, quite a record for a basketball coach. His son, Pat Knight, served for the last three years as head coach of Texas Tech. His entire basketball head coaching career was from 2007 to 2011, where he had a record of 50 wins and 60 losses. In an article in the L.A. Times this week called When Jeans Don't Fit, Jeans meaning G-E-N-E-S, not J-E-A-N-E-S, J-E-A-N-S. Reporter David Wharton writes this about the incident with Pat Knight and his firing. Not too many fathers and sons have managed to reach the highest levels of this tenuous, tenuous profession, but the list spans across decades and all the major sports. Pat Knight replaced an icon who retired in 2008 with 902 victories and three national championships. He seemed to recognize the challenge that lay ahead. When Here's what Pat Knight said when he took the job three years ago. I know why I'm here. Because of my dad, he said that year. But then again, I can't be him because I'm not him. Well, just because Pat Knight was the physical son of Bobby Knight didn't mean that he was like Bobby Knight in every way. Sometimes genes don't fit. 
Well, in our text this morning, we'll see that just because someone is a physical descendant of Abraham doesn't mean they are truly a son of Abraham. Many religions today, in fact, three of the world, world's big ones, claim Abraham this sick. I mean, who thought about Abraham this week? How irrelevant does this sound at one level? Abraham. But three of the world's dominant religions cite Abraham as, as a father of that religion. Muslims claim Abraham as their father, seeing him as the first Muslim who restored monotheism. As we know, Judaism claims Abraham as their father, predominantly on, on genetic and ethnic lines. But Christians also claim Abraham as their father, as we see in this text this morning. So whose father is Abraham? Well, if you didn't know, there's a fourth group that also claim Abraham as their father, and that is these false teachers who are, who are Jews, but they're a certain kind of Jew. And at one level, when you look at this text, this reference to Abraham almost just jumps out of nowhere. Like he's talking about the gospel, and he's talking about how these Christians became Christians, and how God was moving in their life, and then all of a sudden he throws in this reference to Abraham kind of out of nowhere. You're like, why a reference to the Old Testament and a quotation from the Old Testament right here in verse 6? Well, let me give you some background here. When these Jews showed up in Galatia, we know from chapters 1 and 2 that they were teaching a gospel that was different from the one Paul was teaching. And the main difference was what Paul was preaching is that we are made right by Jesus and Jesus only. Our acceptance with God is based completely and entirely on what Jesus did, living, dying, rising again as our substitute in our place. Paying for our sin, dealing with our debt of rebellion to God, and also providing the righteousness that we needed. That was what Paul teached, that and nothing else. And then these Judaizers came along, and they were much more subtle. They said, well and good. Great, we need Jesus. He's God's Messiah. He's God's appointed mediator. But we also need to keep the ceremonial law. That whole law system that God had given in the Old Testament to the people of Israel, we need to keep that as well. And one of the main things that we need to keep is circumcision. You need to be circumcised in order to be a part of the people of God because that's what God told Abraham it took to be part of the people of God. And they were quoting Genesis 17. Would you turn back there with me? Hold your, hold your finger in uh, Galatians, and let's go back to Genesis 17. I kind of wish I was, as Ron was reading, I was like, why don't I just have him read this one too? But it was an afterthought. Genesis 17, this is where these Jews' thinking was going. And we'll just read verses 9 and following. This is after God's covenant with Abraham. He says in verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Stop. You see their argument now? They would have come on the scene and said, Listen, in order to be a part of God's people, according to Abraham, you must be circumcised in order to be a part of Abraham's offspring. 
you have to be, it doesn't mean that every one of Abraham's offspring must be a Jew by ethnicity, but everyone must behave like a Jew culturally and become a Jew culturally in order to be a son of Abraham. And Paul is coming along and he does, he's doing something very wise. He's going to and then five chapters behind what that from that quote said, and he said, wait, what was the basis on which Abraham was justified? Was it on the basis of his circumcision? Did Abraham get right with God because he obeyed this covenant that God set up with him? Or did God come to him and said, I'm going to bless you? And Abraham believed, and God at that moment counted him as righteousness. Well, we read the text. Genesis 15 is before Genesis 17. Paul's going back to Genesis 15 and said, Abraham got right with God by faith before he was circumcised. Galatians are just the same way. They don't need circumcision. And he's going to take it. He's going to go a little bit step further as as we walk through this chapter, which I'm not going to be able to get into today, but Pastor Ted will pick up with Lord willing next week. And he's going to defend that. Well, right. Abraham was right with God, but well, what role does circumcision have then? But that's not my point this morning. My point this morning is this. Christians, that is those who have turned from their works and their performance and trusted entirely in God's provision of salvation through Jesus Christ, are the true children of Abraham and are the only ones who have the right to call Abraham their father. That's the point of the text in verses 6 through 9. And I'm going to open it up for us under two main points this morning. Number one. Abraham heard and believed the gospel, verses 6 and 8. And number two, those who hear and believe the gospel are the sons of Abraham, verses 7 and 9. So two simple points. Abraham heard and believed the gospel, that's point one. Therefore, the sons of Abraham are those who hear and believe the gospel. So let's begin with Abraham hearing and believing the gospel, verse 6. Now, Paul references Abraham here in verse 6 as an illustration of what he's been saying in verses 1 to 5. What's been his main point in verses 1 to 5? We get right with God. We stay right with God. We grow with God by faith, not by works of the law. That's his main point. And then all of a sudden, he he inserts in verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He's using Abraham as an illustration of faith, as a man who illustrates this truth, namely that we are right with God on the basis of faith, not on the basis of performance. So what happened to Abraham? Well, look at verse 6 and look at verse 8. We'll start with verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, it says here that Abraham heard the gospel. The gospel was preached to Abraham. Now, you might be having a question right now. You mean God went to Abraham and told him about Jesus and living and dying and rising again? No, I do not mean that. I mean that God preached the gospel to him. Well, what's the gospel? Well, according to this, it's in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's the good news. So how is that the gospel? Isn't the gospel like God, man, Christ response? Isn't that the gospel? Like God is holy, we're sinful, Christ died, repent and believe. Isn't that the gospel? Yes, it's the gospel. It's not the only gospel. This is the big 
picture of the gospel. This is the big, let me put it this way. There's a narrow way, an individual way of presenting the gospel, and there's a corporate big way of presenting the gospel. You can't get to the big way of presenting the gospel without going through the narrow way. You have to repent, believe, recognize you're sinful, recognize God is holy, recognize you've got a problem with him. More than that, God's got a problem with you. And you deal with that through Christ. But there's also these great blessings that are promised to you as a result of that. And that's what the gospel that's being referred to here. The gospel is, just means good news. And what was the good news that was preached to Abraham? Abraham, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless the world through you. That was good news. Because God is now working out a plan of salvation. Why did God need to work out a plan of salvation? Let's go back to the beginning. God creates man in his own image to rule and reign, to rule over God's world as God's representative. Man falls, commits sin, transgresses God's law. God says, don't eat that tree just because you love me. Don't eat it. Serpent comes along, tempts, tempts Eve to eat the fruit. Adam eats. World goes into the world has tsunamis as a result of that event. God does not give up. He doesn't just blow the earth away and start again. He starts a plan of redemption in place with Adam right there. He says, I'm going to bring forth a seed from you that's going to bless the earth, that's going to crush the head of this serpent. That's in Genesis 3.15. Then we fast forward past the flood where God judges the world, and he comes to Abraham and basically issues the same command that he issued to Adam, which is obey me, respond, receive my gift. As a result, the world is going to be blessed through you. Abraham believes. Abraham believes God's promise, and as a result, he's counted righteous. And God says, now, get out of here. Go from here. I'm going to make a new place with a new land and to make a new people, namely the people of Israel. As we know, Israel fails. Ethnic Israel fails over and over and over again. So God sends Jesus Christ, who was the whole point of God's promise to Abraham and the whole point of God's dealing with Israel and in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, first verse of the New Testament, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Jesus comes into the world as the true son of Abraham, who lives, fulfills all righteousness, obeys God completely and perfectly. And as a result of that, and through faith in him, he begins making a new people. And that new people is called the church. Of Jesus Christ, and it's comprised of all those who believe in Jesus, who receive him. And therefore, that's why Paul can say here, it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham, not those who are, of the, who are just ethnically Jewish. So God makes this promise to Abraham that he's going to bless the whole, all the nations through him. And what does Abraham do? As I've heard Pastor Sam say so many times, he did nothing. He stood there naked and believed a promise. That's what he did. He stood there and he believed a promise. And God counted him righteous. That was it. Abraham stood there as a pagan, non-Jew, uncircumcised Chaldean, and God justified him on the spot. That's what happened. He was counted as righteous 
He was credited righteousness. He was given to it. It was given to him. I hesitate to use the word reckoned because we're in the South. And when you reckon, you remember, I reckon. We don't get the word reckoned very well. So use credited or accounted. It's a legal term. It is God conferred upon Abraham a status of righteousness on the basis of him just believing a promise. That's what happened. God counted him as righteous. Now, maybe an illustration of this would be helpful. I remember when I started at MSU, I went to Murray State and started there in 98. And when I sat down initially with the college registrar to kind of work out my schedule for the my first academic year in that first fall, I uh, sat down with them and I, and I was trying to get some credit that I had taken in high school. I had I had taken several years of Spanish and I had taken AP Spanish or I think I took AP Spanish or some sort of honor Spanish or something where I where and I sat down with them and I said I've already taken this th- these courses can I get credit for them and she said yes so my first class 8 a.m. my freshman year I walk into a Spanish three class the professor walks in speaks not a word of English for 45 minutes and at that moment I realized I shouldn't have been credited Spanish I should not have been credited Spanish. That registrar conferred a status on me of level three Spanish when I took high school Spanish. And we all know when you take high school Spanish, you don't come out knowing any Spanish. So the illustration succeeds in that I really didn't know Spanish, but I was being treated like I did. Just like Abraham really wasn't righteous. But God was treating him like he was righteous. But the illustration breaks down in that it was me doing the work. And the gospel says that Jesus did the work so that I could be counted righteous. So understand that. But the point of crediting was they, MSU conferred a status on me saying this person, based on what they have done, is in a position to be ready for level three Spanish. They gave me the credit for the first two classes. But the problem was I was was not ready. So to have righteousness credited to people like Abraham means that they are treated legally as if they were actually righteous. God treats us legally as though we're actually righteous. And he frees us from condemnation even though actually in and of ourselves we are still unrighteous in our heart and behavior. And that is the good news of the gospel is that God does not treat us based on our performance, but on the basis of his provision. So let me apply that to to you this morning. Faith, saving faith, faith that actually gets this righteousness so that you can have it, is faith in God's provision, not faith in your performance. Abraham did not know much about how God was going to bless the nations through him, did he? He was really confused about that whole thing. He just knew that God was going to have to do it. He was old. He didn't have any kids. And God's saying, You're old man, you old man are going to have a kid. And that kid is going to result in the nation of Israel 
he didn't know what he didn't know what was God was how God was going to do that, and he doubted it a lot. You read the in between chapters in Genesis. He's struggling, and he sins in some and he sins because he doesn't think God's going to do it. So he tries to get an heir another way through his wife's maidservant. So what the, all this symbolizes is that God counts us righteous not on the basis of our performance but on the basis of his provision it it the weight of this promise lands with god not with us you notice if you would have kept reading in genesis 17 there's this great picture of god's covenant with abraham and how committed god is to keeping his covenant there's this mysterious oath there where animal pieces are split in half and it's they're on both sides of the uh, both sides and What's that what's that whole picture of God's of the, the animals being slain? What's that meant to symbolize? God is saying, I am so committed to keeping this promise that if I don't, you can kill me. Treat me as these animals. God is laying his he, he's illustrating how committed he is to keeping this promise to Abraham. And Abraham believed that with a weak, simple faith, and God gave him everything as a result of it. God showed that he would accomplish his salvation even if it meant his own death, which in fact it did. So we learn here that saving faith, the righteousness that was given to Abraham in verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, was on the basis of his simple trust in a promise, not based on his performance. So Abraham heard the gospel, he believed a promise, and God counted him righteous. That's what I mean by Abraham heard and believed the gospel. Let me say one more thing. Saving faith is not only faith in God's provision, not our performance. It's also believing the gospel promise. In other words, saving faith has a specific object and content to it. It is not merely believing in God in some abstract, general way. We don't get counted righteous by God by believing in God. We get counted righteous by God by believing God's promises made by God. If you don't know God's promises, you can't be right with God. Abraham was not counted righteous simply because he believed in God, but that he believed in what God said to him. You can't believe God without believing. Let me say this very clearly and slowly and listen. You can't believe God without believing in God, but you can certainly believe in God without believing God. Let me say that one more time. Just listen very carefully. You can't believe God, that is God's promise, without believing in God. If you don't believe God exists, then you don't believe he gives any promises. But without that being being said, you can certainly believe in God without believing God. Some sort of general, generic, vague sense of God, he's out there. But has he made any promises that you believe that are specific in content? No. So saving faith is therefore something different, more specific than generic general faith in the existence of God or even in the teachings of the Bible in general. It has a specific content. 
Abraham heard a specific promise, and he believed that specific promise. And as a result of believing that specific promise, he was counted righteous by God. In the same way, we are saved not by believing in some general way in God, but by believing specific promises that God has made. And we'll talk about those promises as we go. So that's point number one. Abraham heard and believed the gospel. Point number two. Those who hear and believe the gospel are sons of Abraham. Those who hear and believe the gospel are sons of Abraham. Verses 7 and 9. So Paul says in verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted for him as righteousness. Then in verse 7, know then that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And then verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What's Paul's point here? The point is, as I've said, the true children of Abraham are not ultimately his physical descendants. They are his spiritual descendants. They are not those who are like Abraham ethnically, but they are like Abraham spiritually. That is, they believe what Abraham believed. They are those who believe God's promise like Abraham believed God's promise. Would you take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 8? And we're going to see, uh, we're going to see Jesus get in the ring with the Pharisees. Jesus, this is one of the themes that runs throughout Jesus' ministry. Jesus encountered this all the time. He would say things like, like Paul is saying, it's not those who are physically descended from Abraham who are the sons of Abraham. It's those who receive me. Jesus said that a lot, and he got a lot of heat for it. And John 8 is one of the most power-packed sections where he really takes a lot of heat, so we're going to spend a few minutes here. All right, look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? We are free. We're the children of Abraham. We're Jews. 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. And he's saying that in the ethnic sense. Yet you will you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, listen to this, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing what your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. You notice what he's calling Jesus there? Calling him a bastard. We're not a bastard like you, Jesus. Remember your virgin mom? We know about Joseph. 
We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are you not right in saying, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say to you that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What's his point? You get his point, don't you? They are claiming over and over, we are the children of Abraham. We are the children of Abraham. We are right with God. We are right with God. We have God as our father. We are okay. We're going to heaven. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Your father's the devil. You're going to hell. Because you don't love me. Abraham loves me. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. But Abraham didn't even know the name of Jesus. But he knew of God's promise that there would be one who would come in whom all the nations would be blessed. And Abraham rejoiced in that. And who is responsible for blessing the nations today? Whose hope is it? Who do we look to to bless Japan in this day? Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. That's who. Because before Abraham even existed, Jesus existed. Because he's eternal God. That's why. And that's why they wanted to stone him. Because they heard what he was saying. So here we have the perfect illustration that the children of Abraham is not based on family history, pedigree, ethnicity, genealogy. It's not based on a physical linkage to some historical figure named Abraham. Rather, the children of Abraham are those who, like Abraham, believe God's promise and love God's son. Those are the children of Abraham, according to Jesus. Everyone else is of their father, the devil. Jesus is clearly teaching here to his own countrymen 
Jews who do not believe in him are of the devil. Muslims who don't believe in Jesus, though they would claim ethnicity and linkage to Abraham, are not of Abraham. They're of the devil, according to Jesus, because they do not receive God's Son. But this is good news for all of us this morning. Because our past history, our ethnic identity, our family history, makes zero difference in whether or not we can be sons of Abraham. Zero difference. What matters is faith in Christ. That's all that matters. And we receive everything that God promised to Abraham, which was everything. We receive the blessing that God gave Abraham. Now notice what Paul does here back in Galatians. He he is contrasting the blessing that God promised to Abraham in verse 8, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And in verse 9 he says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What is the main blessing that comes to the sons of Abraham? It's the same blessing that Abraham received, righteousness by faith. That is the main blessing. We cannot desire a greater blessing than that. To know that though I am sinful, ungodly, unworthy, wretched in and of myself, unable to fulfill all God's requirements, nevertheless, he looks at me because I believe in his son and have transferred my trust from myself to him. I am counted at that moment as righteous in his sight, as accepted by him. That's it. That's all God wants. And God does it that way so that he will get the credit for your righteousness. If you are unwilling to give God the credit that he deserves for saving you, you will not be saved by God. God wants salvation set up in such a way, and he sets it up in such a way that when people get it, all glory goes to him and none to us. And that's why he counts people like that as righteous, even though in and of themselves they are not. And isn't this comforting? There is one way of salvation, brothers and sisters, in all of human history. There is just one. God has always dealt with people the exact same way, faith in his promise. Always. That's the only way that people will ever be saved. That's the only way that people have been reconciled to God. It's the only way Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus, straight on down to us. We have received righteousness by faith. And righteousness by faith is taught in both the Old Testament and New Testament. It's not as if Old Testament saints were right with God on the basis of works and New Testament saints are right with God on the basis of faith. No, 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 no. It has always, always, always been by faith, Abraham Exhibit A. 
so the only question I have in conclusion for us this morning is, who's your father? Who's your father? Well, how do I know who my father is? Let's go back to what Jesus said. Do you believe God's promise concerning his son that Jesus was sent into the world by God to fix us, to make us right with him, dying for our sin, rising again? Do you believe that? Do you feel your need for that? And have you transferred your trust from yourself to him? Have you turned away both from your wicked sinfulness and your wicked righteousness? By wicked righteousness, I mean your attempts to save yourself, which are wicked in God's sight. And you've transferred your trust to Jesus. You're a son of Abraham. Abraham is your father. You love the son. You've received the son. If you stiff arm Jesus, if you maintain that you don't need him because you are good enough and you're better than most of the people in this community, you are of your father the devil, according to Christ. But for the vast majority of us this morning, no matter what our week looks like, if something of Japanese proportion hits our lives next week, brothers and sisters, do you realize you've lost nothing? Your sonship in Abraham cannot be taken away from you. So come what may, this doesn't change. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the simplicity of your word. It just lays it out for us so clearly. Thank you for this massive promise that you made to Abraham, which liberates our hearts and frees us from performance and enables us to have joy and hope because all of us have terrible track records before you. We would all flunk were we to stand before you in our own righteousness. We'd receive F minus. But because of Jesus and his work and our faith in him, we receive the A plus of perfection of, because of his performance for us. And thank you that our sonship and our connection to Abraham is rooted in our connection to Jesus. Thank you that we have roots, Father, to our faith, roots that go back centuries and will last all the way into eternity. We pray all this in Jesus' name.